0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Today I want to spend some time talking about one of my pet peeves. That pet peeve is the fact that there's a lack of respect for the Word of God amongst most Christians. This even includes those in Bible-believing churches we find that we misuse scripture we find excuses to get around scripture and not do what it says and things like this and those are the kind of things i want to look at in today's uh message uh, it's important that we understand where god places his word in his uh hierarchy of importance in uh, psalms 138 verse 2 it says i will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness "...and for thy truth, for thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name." Now think about that, folks. God places his word above his name. You stop and think about the Ten Commandments and you'll know how important his name is. In Exodus 20, verse 7, it says, "...thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain." Think about that a little bit. God's name is so important that somebody who takes it in vain or uses it in a in an empty way, that's what vain means. It doesn't necessarily mean cussing or anything like that. It means just using it in a may, in a way that doesn't show proper respect. That's all it means to use his name in vain. And God puts that so high up that it says he will not hold them guiltless. That's a breaking of the law of God when you don't Respect God's word the way, or God's name the way it should be respected. So, it's very important. Let's think just a moment about the names of God. And I'm not going to take the time to cover all of them. By the way, any of those who are from the church that I go to, Temple Baptist Church here in Lenore, uh, you'll some of this stuff will found, sound a little familiar to you because uh, Wednesday night in our church, our pastor covered the same subject. As a matter of fact, that's where I got the idea of the importance of Considering this subject today. The first name that we find in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 where he's called Elohim. It says God in English, but the, the Hebrew word is Elohim. It's important that we understand what that word means. The first part of the word, the Elo, means the Almighty One. There can only be one Almighty, because in order to be Almighty, you must have more uh, might than anyone else, so nobody can counter you. And so that's what the first word, part of the word means. The second part of the word is plural. So here in this name Elohim, we have God, that is the Almighty One, plural, the Trinity, created the heaven and the earth. And that's why, as we look through scriptures, we see things that are attributed in one place to God, in other places attributed to uh, Jesus, and in other places attributed to the Holy Spirit. It's because they are one and the same God, that they're three, something beyond our human ability to comprehend. But that's a pretty important name, and and it's to be high and lifted up. Probably the most well-known name for God is Jehovah. This means the self-existing one, the one who exists Without any cause or anything, he's just there. He is. He exists. He's existed for all eternity. And he will exist for all eternity. And it's important that we uh, understand the meaning of this word. As a matter of fact, if you remember, when Moses uh, was attracted to the burning bush, and he uh, went and he found God speaking to him from the burning bush, and Moses asked him who he was, and he said, I am that I am. What he's telling him there is that I am Jehovah. I am the God who exists just because he exists and I need no cause outside of myself. That's a very important name also. It is so important to the Jews that they don't even pronounce it. The reason we see a lot of times in the King James Bible the word Lord uh, translated in all capital letters is because the Jews were afraid to mispronounce or miswrite the name Jehovah so they use the word Lord and when you see it in all capitals it means the underlying word is Jehovah. Of course the sweetest of all of God's names is Jesus. Jesus is the sweetest name I know I'm sure you're familiar with the song and Jesus means Jehovah our Savior or Jehovah is Savior. Uh, it's a very important name and it's it's a very sweet name. And we need to understand that Jesus claimed to be Jehovah. And if you just want an example of that, remember when he was talking to the religious leaders and uh, they were questioning how he could have uh, known Abraham and things. And, and he says, before Abraham was, I am. He doesn't say before Abraham was, I was. He says before Abraham was I am now that you can find that in John chapter 8 verse 58 if you want to look it up and check me out on it as important as the names of God are God magnifies his word above all of his name now it's in singular there but I going to assume that that's just a generic term which means all of his names plural every name that he has that his word is above all of his name and that's a pretty high place to put it and if he puts it up that high, don't you think we ought to put God's word up that high above everything else? By the way, that's the only thing we have to guide us in our lives, the only thing that we have to tell us how we ought to live, tell us who God is, what he's like, what lies ahead for those of us who are saved, and what lies ahead for those of us who are not saved. And it's important that we that we understand these things. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, said, for this cause also... Thank we God without ceasing because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us ye received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe Now folks this tells us that what Paul is saying is the word of God that the letters that he wrote to these churches is the word of God and it is in truth the word of God and if it's God's word, it should take precedence over every other kind of word that there is. What you think, what I think, what your professors think, what your pastor thinks, the word of God goes over that whatever we may say the word of God comes first I've told you before on this broadcast go to the scriptures and check out what I say make sure that it's uh, what the scriptures really say and uh, be Bereans study for yourself know what you believe based on the Bible not on what some preacher be it myself or your pastor or whoever it may be tells you make sure that you know what you believe from the word of God. We are told that uh, the word of God is forever settled in heaven. We're told a lot of things about the word of God. But I want you to understand that Jesus said it was never going to end. In uh, Matthew five eighteen, he said, For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now he's talking here about the Old Testament uh Bible that the Hebrews used at that time. This transfers to the New Testament also because it's all the Word of God. But it says not one jot or one tittle are going to pass away until all is fulfilled. You can count on everything that the Bible says being true. It will happen exactly as God said it will happen. The rewards will be exactly as God says they will be. The punishments will be exactly as God says they will be. When God says that if you reject him and his word, you will end up in the lake of fire for all eternity, you can count on it. Not one jot or one uh, tittle will pass away. In James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 it says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Listen to this now. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, now that's the Word of God, folks, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. Now, folks, if you want God to bless what you do in this life, you need to be a doer of the Word. And you will notice by the last part there, a doer of the Word is someone who does the work that God has laid out for us to do in the Word of God. It's important that we do things. You know, we like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We say, well, I'm saved without works. That's true. But what does the next verse say? The next verse says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Don't think that we as Christians are not supposed to be doing good works. We are. There are uh, some areas where we dishonor the word of God today, even among good Bible-believing Baptists, we do it. Uh, If we love Jesus, he says we're going to keep his commandments. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. In John, excuse me, in 1 John 2, 5, he says, but whosoever keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God. Uh, perfected, hereby know we that we are in him. We know we're in God because we keep his commandments. In 1 John 5, 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Uh, And uh, all of the Bible is God's word, and all of the commandments in the Bible are his commandments, and we are to keep them if we love him. Now, I'm going to step on some toes here on this next part, but uh, this is an example of where a lot of Bible-believing Christians violate the principles of God, the commandments of God, if you will. In Titus chapter 2, 5, it tells us that the older women are to teach the younger women to be keepers at home. Now, there are a lot of other things, but I want to focus on that one right there, to be keepers at home. The phrase keepers at home means to be physically present and to guard the home. In uh, one of the epistles to Timothy, I believe it is, he says that the younger women are to bear children and guide the home. You can't do that if you're not there. It's important that we understand that Titus chapter 2 and verse 1 says that this is something which is sound doctrine, something which becomes sound doctrine. That means it goes along with sound doctrine. If you're not teaching younger women to be keepers at home, you're not doing something that goes with sound doctrine. You're getting on shaky ground. And the last part of of verse 5 says that we're to teach them these things. Why? That the word of God be not blasphemed. When we do something contrary to what the word of God uh, teaches, we are blaspheming or setting it up to be criticized what the word of god says if a lost person is reading through titus chapter 2 and verse 5 and it says women are to be keepers at home and they look and they see all the women in the in our supposedly bible believing churches are out working jobs and not keepers at home they will say well you don't follow the word of god so it must not be that important to you it's not that important to me and there's something else let me say about this because the the excuse that's most often used, is in this modern economy, we need the two incomes just to survive. Well, I'm going to tell you something, folks. People have been telling me that for the 54 years we've been married, but we have uh, survived just fine with just one income. And believe me, it is not now, nor has it ever been a very big income. But God has met our needs, sometimes in miraculous ways. But here's a question that I have to ask you, actually a couple of them. Do you really believe God is able to take care of you? That's what it comes down to. Do you believe that God can take care of you? Now, some of you women may say, well, you just want us barefoot and pregnant. pregnant." That's not true. That is not true at all. But God has designed us for different roles. And if we follow those roles and work in those roles, God will work things out for us. Remember what I said it says in, in one of the epistles to Timothy, that women are to guide the home. What could be more important than that? It's the guidance of the woman at home that determines how the children turn out. The father's out working. He's doing his job. He's not there all the time. It's the woman, the wife, the mother who at home teaches the children the things of God. She does it under the authority of her husband, but she's the one that's actually doing the work. The second question is this. Why should God meet your needs with one income, When you're not going to follow his principles and try and get by on one income. Where's your faith? Do you trust God or not? We must must trust him in whatever we do. And when we do things his way, he always provides. Another way we disrespect the word of God is through misuse. The scripture must always be interpreted in its context. And I don't have time to give a lot of examples of where we go off. But here again, it's one that's going to offend some people. Revelation 3.20 is often used to say that Jesus is knocking at the sinner's heart and asking to come into his heart. That is not what that verse is about at all. That verse is about a church that has put Jesus outside of his church. It has taken possession. It's the church of the Laodiceans. It's no longer a church of Christ. He's out there knocking on the door saying, Let me back in the church. Well, you say, Yeah, there's only one interpretation, and you're right, but we can make many applications. Well, can we make that application? There's a basis for making applications, and it's an underlying principle. There is no underlying principle in Revelation 3.20 that has anything to do with God trying to get into an individual's heart and save him. None whatsoever. The principle is not there. The way we use those things is like Paul used the, the Uh, statement in the old testament that when they had the ox treading out the grain they were not to muzzle the ox he was supposed to be able to eat of the grain as he treaded out and then paul used that as an illustration and and an example to uh, say that pastors have a right to be paid by the people they minister to Because he's supposed to, like the ox, he's supposed to profit from the labors that he does. You see, there's an underlying principle there. The laborer profits from his work. That's the underlying principle. There's no such underlying principle in Revelation 3.20 about a man's heart. It's just not there. And when we misuse scriptures... We're teaching other people that they can misuse them and make them say whatever they want. You want to know why we have so many different beliefs and doctrines and cults and denominations and everything today? It's because everybody's taking liberty with the Word of God. They're taking what they want out of context. They're twisting it. They're making applications that don't fit with the meaning of the passage and things like this. And that's why we have all the problems. That's why we have all the confusion in Christianity today. And folks, that's why the world is laughing at us. making fun of us. Another way that we uh, don't respect the Word of God is in the Bible version issue. Whoops, I'm going to step on some toes again. Well, let me tell you something, folks. The Bible version issue is very important. We're talking about the Word of God being something that God uh, magnifies above His name. And when you leave things out, when you change meaning, you are tampering with God's Word and He is going to get upset. You know, folks, the most clear passage in the scripture on the trinity is 1 john 5 7 most of your modern translations either leave it out or have a marginal note that says it shouldn't be there even the king james bible if you've got a schofield bible says it probably shouldn't be there so we need to be careful about that but it's the leaving it out the ones that i'm talking about we need to understand that the word of god is the word of god schofield's notes are something that he added later uh, the notes I'm talking about in the modern versions are the translator's notes. They're saying that it probably doesn't belong there or they leave it out altogether. And that's a real problem. Another problem is there are passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 that in the King James it says those that are saved and in the New King James and almost all the modern versions, all the ones I looked at, change it to are being saved. Now, folks, are you saved or are you just in the process of being saved? They say, but it's a participle and therefore it should be the ING form. No, they make a big mistake because there's a certain mood. I don't remember what it is right now that if it's in that mood, you use the past tense just like the King James, King James translators did and the uh, modern translators have changed it. Here's another thing about the New King James. Those of you who think that it's... it's uh, translated from the same manuscripts and therefore it's reliable. The New King James continually cites from the Nestle text in the translator's notes. If this translation is really based upon the Textus Receptus, the same text as the King James, why do they do this? Why do they keep bringing this corrupted text into their comments in the margins? Is it because they think that the Nestle text is... More reliable than the received text. I can't answer the question, but it makes you makes you wonder if they really believe that the Texas Receptus is the is the best text. Why would they use the Nestle text to uh, cast doubt upon what the the uh, Texas Receptus ta- uh, says? And I'm going to tell you something else, folks. The new translators or the translators of the new versions. They actually know that they're mistranslating, in some cases at least. Maybe not in all cases, but in some cases. And I'm going to give you an example. If you remember that in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul made a big deal about seed, singular, as opposed to seeds, plural. By the way, that tells you how important a single letter in the Bible is. Uh, If there was an S on the end of that, it would change the meaning altogether. Uh, And that's what Paul is talking about. He said, thy seed. Uh, let me just read it to you. It says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. You see, if it's many seeds, then it's to the Jewish people. If it's one seed, then it's Christ. It's a very important doctrine. Now here is one of the passages that Paul is referring to when he's making this Uh, This uh, statement referring to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7 says and the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto thy seed notice it's singular will I give this land and there uh, builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him now notice it says seed well the New King James and most of the other translations all of them that I looked at, at translate that something like descendants plural. Notice that it's plural. This totally defeats Paul's argument. If the seed is singular, it has and he's quoting the Old Testament. It has to come from a place where the seed is singular. If they he said they said his descendants singular, I wouldn't have a problem. But they don't. They say descendants plural. Now, do they know that they've made a mistake in that translation in Genesis chapter twelve? Actually, they do. I first found this in the New King James, but I found it in other translations when I looked also. They have a marginal note. If you look in the New King James, if if you have one that has the marginal notes, there'll be a little A beside that. And you take that A and you go to the margin, it'll say literally seed. It's singular. So they know it should be translated singular, yet they translated it plural. Why? They knew they were mistranslating it. Why did they do it? It should have been singular. Have you ever wondered why there is so much confusion in the Christian world today? A lot of it comes from the fact that we all are using different Bible versions, and they do not say the same thing. Now, you've heard me say this next thing over and over again. I'll say it again. Things that are different are not the same. Did you hear that? Things that are different are not the same. One time when I was a missionary, I got a chance to preach in a church, or they didn't use the, well, they didn't stand on the King James. The, the preacher used the King James, but the people in the pews used whatever version they want. And I knew that before I preached. And I did something that might have been a little devious, but I went in there and I preached the message on the deity of Christ, and I used only passages of scripture that their favorite version, the NIV, which most of them follow anyway, but uh, most of their versions left out or said something totally different. And when I got through, one of the men in the church, who happened to be a deacon, he shouldn't have been because he was was on his fourth wife, I think it was, third at least, maybe fourth wife, but nevertheless, uh, he came to me and he said, well, you know, my Bible doesn't say quite what yours said. I said, now do you see why I use the King James Bible? And instead of saying, well, maybe you're right to discuss it and say, why, show me more, what he did is he, his shoulders kind of drooped and he walked away which, by the way, I find that oftentimes when you show people that what they believe is wrong, they will do that. I had that happen one time when I was talking to some Pentecostals about speaking in tongues, and and the same thing happens. They just drop their shoulders and walk away. They don't have an argument, and there is no real argument. But, folks, it's important that we understand that The Bible versions are not the same. They don't say the same thing. They don't mean the same thing. They twist things. Now, if you're going to pick one, you say, well, I don't like the King James, so I'm going to use a different one. Well, then use it. If you don't, you have no authority. If you say, well, you know, the King James says this, and I like that, and the New King James says this, and I like that, and the NIV says this, and I like that, and you use them interchangeably, you have absolutely no authority whatsoever because you don't have a standard that we can go to when we have a disagreement and come to a conclusion. So this issue of the Bible versions is very important. Now let me say this. I'm trying to finish up just a little bit early because I want to say something else at the end of this broadcast. But let me say this. God magnifies His Word above His name. That means it's pretty important to Him. That also means it should be pretty important to us. We should be making sure that the Word of God that we use is accurate, can be depended on, and the King James is the only one I know in English that can do that. And folks, I don't believe that the King James came down on a parachute. I don't believe that it's a re-inspiration. I believe it is a 100% totally reliable translation of the inspired, received text, the one that Bible-believing Christians used from the time of Christ until the late 1800s when Westcott and Hork came along and changed everything. And folks... We need to make sure we're standing on the Word of God. We need to be doing what it says, following its precepts, putting it into practice in our life. If we want to see souls saved, we've got to be doing this because otherwise we're giving them excuses not to listen to what we have to say. If there's not something different about us and if that difference is not something that comes from the Word of God, they're not going to have any reason to listen to what we have to say. We need to remember that God is a jealous God and He's jealous of His name. If he promises punishment for those who take his name in vain, and if he magnifies his word above his name, what do you suppose he thinks about those who misuse or distort the word of God? It's important. Today I want to take a little time for a commercial, if you will allow me. All the feedback I get, which frankly isn't a whole lot, but all the feedback I get from you listeners is very positive. Some of you have called me and asked for CDs of my broadcast, and I'm glad to send them out for free or even for a small donation if you, if you want and things. I'm, I'm glad to do that. And if you want a copy of any of my broadcasts, just call me at uh, 828-244-6505. That's 828-244-6505. Or you can email me at pierre at SolidFoundationMinistries.com. That should be easy to remember. That's the name of the broadcast, Pierre at
1: SolidFoundationMinistries.com.
0: That's foundation singular and ministries plural. So uh, I'd be glad to send you one. If you want to send a little gift to cover my cost, that's fine. If you don't have that or don't want to, that's fine also. be more than glad to do it. But that's not the real thing that I want to talk about here as a commercial. I live in Lenore. That means I'm right here in the area where you guys are listening to this radio broadcast. This radio broadcast doesn't go anywhere else. It's just right here. I want you to know that I'm available to come and preach in your churches. Now, if you're a pastor, I'm available to come and you can call me. But if you're a a church member, talk to your pastor if you'd like to uh, have me come in and, and discuss some of these subjects that I discuss on the radio. Uh, I'm available for ri- revivals, but let me tell you, if I come in for revival, it'll be different than most of what you see here to, uh, these days. My goal will be to turn Christians back to God, which is what my ministry is all about. I'm available for men's meetings and retreats or things like this to teach men how to be better husbands and and uh, better men of God and things like this. I'm available for family camps or seminars where where we get families together and we talk about the roles of each member of the family and things like this. I teach on on biblical evangelism and uh, Baptist heritage are two very important subjects. And I have uh, some PowerPoint presentations that I use in teaching on these subjects. So if there are any of those... Areas you would like me to have to come to your church and preach on again, you can contact me by the phone number that I gave earlier. let me give it again it's eight two eight two four four six five oh five or you can email me at solid at pierre at solidfoundationministries dot com that's at pierre at solidfoundationministries dot com and if you because you're driving or something you can't write these down if you call the radio station uh the secretary over there or or any of the people over there will gladly give you my phone number and, uh, and you can give me a call. So if I can be of any help, let me know. Uh, I love preaching. I will be faithful to the Word of God, that I promise. Um, and if we have differences, I will do my best not to step on anybody's toes outside of where it should be. I, I try and do things in a scriptural, biblical manner, and I try not to be offensive uh, in the way that I approach things. Anyway, that's all the time I have for today. I'll be back again talk with you next week. Bye. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more... Go to our website, SolidFoundationMinistries.com or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.